0: Today, we're talking about a brand new series we're starting called The Spirit. We're going to talk for the next five weeks about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about this part of God, which we'll actually even talk about if the Holy Spirit is a part of God. But we're talking about this part of God, this part of the Bible, this part of Christian faith that is the Holy Spirit. And and who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit is. And so we're going to talk about that over the next five weeks. And today is kind of a 50,000 foot level. It's kind of week one where we're going to deal with an overview, a summary. Today's title is The Spirit of the Bible. We're going to look through all scripture here and really look at what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit and hopefully to bring some clarity to us about this subject matter and about who the Holy Spirit is. But even beyond that, it's really to set us up for the next four weeks. So you're in here for a great week because you're here at the very beginning. And so over the next few weeks we're going to talk about some very specific and and, and applicable parts of the Holy Spirit in our lives what the Holy Spirit does and and how the Holy Spirit works in corporate settings like this and in the church and through people in church. We're going to talk on Father's Day about the Spirit really allowing us to look to God as Father and how that even works. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about some of the questions that you may have about the Holy Spirit. Some people are very comfortable talking about this subject. Some people were raised in a faith tradition where the Holy Spirit was always talked about and and parts of the Holy Spirit were regularly understood and and, and exercised and 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 so for some of you, this is an, a totally unique topic. This is a different thing for you. You've never been exposed to that. And so when we talk about this, you're, you're not really sure where we're going with this. We're going to talk about some of the questions that you may have about the Holy Spirit over the next few weeks. And, and some things that you may have heard or experienced or thought about the Holy Spirit. And what really scripture says and what, uh, what God really desires for us as it relates to the Holy Spirit. I heard a story about a man who went shopping with his wife. And they went shopping, and she found a brand new comforter. And she showed this comforter to him. She said, look at this. Don't you think this is beautiful? Wouldn't this look beautiful in our room? And he looked at it, and he said, yeah, baby, that that would look awesome. I mean, it looks just like the decorations in our room and in our house. I think it's awesome. And so they buy the comforter. And they take it home, and that first night, he knows they've already kind of been. She took the comforter upstairs later. and That first night, he had been a little later coming to bed, but he comes up into the bedroom, and he's getting ready to lay down, and he notices that the new comforter is not on the bed. So he's very confused, and so he, he actually kind of says to his wife, he says, where is the new comforter that we just bought? She said, you stupid man. You don't use the comforter. You just look at the comforter, right? And I don't know if you have anything like that in your house, like those little bathroom soaps that have to look like shells for the all time, like you can't actually use them with water or they quit looking like a shell Um, or the the towels that hang in a bathroom or somewhere that you don't actually use as towels. They're just decorative. Um, I don't know if you have anything like that, but I'm afraid that some of us look to the Holy Spirit as something like that. It's something that you know maybe looks good, or it sounds good, or we, we understand it's kind of a part of the system, it's a part of the culture, but it's not actually something that you use. It's not actually something that you interact with. It's not actually something that has any meaning or bearing or application to our personal lives. And so my hope is that over the next few weeks, we can really break that down and, and hopefully understand a little better what it is that God desires for us as it relates to the Holy Spirit. So again, today's kind of like Holy Spirit 101. All right, so this is a a 50,000 foot level. But the first thing that I want us to do, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures. Some of them will be on the screen. Some of them will not. But the first thing I want you to do, if you would, when you walked in, you should have received one of our bulletins or worship guides and a pen. And if you're not a note taker, that's okay. You can doodle and that's fine. But I want to at least make it look like some of you are taking notes. But I'm just going to give a bunch of scriptures throughout the day. Some of them I'll read. Some of them you'll see on the screen. Some of them you may not. I may just read them aloud or I may just give you the reference. But I want to give you the opportunity to just make sure you know where some of these scriptures that I'm referencing are in the Bible so that you can maybe go back and look at it a little later. Two other things that I want to make you aware of before we jump in. This is not its not intended to be all scholarly today, but two other things I want to reference you to before we get started is that when you leave today in, in your worship guide, there's a, a website that's listed there about some additional resources. It's called mpinthespirit.wordpress.com. It's a blog we've set up for this month. And, uh, and today, uh, week one, additional resources are posted. Every Sunday, new resources will be posted that are additional to the sermon, both at our Marietta campus and our Canton campus where we're, we're preaching this series. Um, you can ask questions via the comments on that blog, and myself and Pastor Mark, who's our senior pastor for both locations, um, some of our other pastors and teaching team members will be responding to those questions. There's some other things that we'll be posting on there as well, so you can utilize that for some additional resources, additional study. Um, And then the last thing is at the end of this month, June the 30th, you can sign up for a free lunch that we're providing here at the school after our service is over. You have to register for that, but it's to help you understand the idea of spiritual gifts. So I just wanted to give you kind of an idea about what was to come there. So let's jump right in. The first thing that I want you to know today is that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit's not this additional part to who we, we worship or something that helps God necessarily, although that's a part of it. But the Holy Spirit is God. And I want to read a quote. This will be up on the screen. It's by John Feinberg. It says, As to the Holy Spirit, if he is not fully God, the implications for salvation are, again, serious. Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit regenerates believers, and some of these words will be big, we'll address most of these, and indwells and fills them. But if the Holy Spirit is a lesser God or no God at all, how can we be sure that He can do any of these things? Moreover, unless He is co-equal or equal to God and the Son, Jesus Christ, unless He's co-equal in being and purpose with the Father and the Son, what guarantees that even if He tried to do such things, the Father and the Son would recognize His actions as appropriate and relate to us, Accordingly, so what John Feinberg is saying here is that the Holy Spirit has to be God because the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture is referenced as one who does the work of salvation, does the regeneration in our lives. So Jesus on the cross did the work. He was the mediator on the cross and the Holy Spirit took that work and then allowed that work to take place in our hearts and in our lives. And if the Holy Spirit wasn't God, then the father nor the son would have to respect the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A couple of other scriptures I want to I want to throw at you here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16. This is a scripture some of you may have heard before. It relates to your own body. It says, "Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you." So the idea being that your body, who you are is God's temple and that God, recognizing the Holy Spirit as God, allows the Spirit to live in God's temple. What is your body? Another scripture that we reference a lot in our corporate gatherings here is Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20. It's the Great Commission. It's kind of some instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples before he left the earth as to what we should be doing, what we should be about. And this is what it says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right there at the end of verse 19, it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, who claimed to be the Son of God, who was recognized by God as his Son, says that when you do the work of God, when you go and make disciples, you baptize them. You allow them to go public with that profession of faith, and you do so in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So there is a recognition here that the Holy Spirit is God. These scriptures will not be on the screen, but let me give you a couple of other things really quick to help you understand that the Holy Spirit possesses the same attributes that are given to God throughout scripture. The first of those is that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Everybody say omnipresent 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 means he's everywhere at all times here's what uh, the scripture that i want to look at psalm 139 verse 7 through 10 says where can i go from your spirit Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. So where can I go from to get from your spirit? The idea that the spirit is everywhere there in Psalm 139. The spirit is also omniscient, which means all-knowing. Everybody say "Omniscient." omniscient. Good job, you're doing great today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 said, God is revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit, listen to this, searches all things, even the, de- the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So there's two things at play here as it relates to the all-knowing power of the Holy Spirit. He not only knows the thoughts that you and I have because he's the spirit inside of us. He knows the thoughts of God because he's the spirit of God, which is a really, really powerful thought. The other thing is that he is omnipotent. Everybody say omnipotent. That means all-powerful. Luke chapter 1 verse 35 says, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. The last thing that I want you to know about the Holy Spirit as God is that the Holy Spirit, just like God, is eternal. How much more than, this is in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God, the eternal spirit. So not only is he omniscient and omnipotent, uh, not only is he eternal, but we understand that he does. And this was related to the quote that we read a few minutes ago. The Holy Spirit brings salvation. If you've ever prayed a prayer of salvation, if you've ever longed to be saved, or you've heard anybody talk about that, um, what you understand is that we reference a lot the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, which is the the mediator work, right? The work of God through the Son, Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice for our sins. And the work of salvation that's brought about through that action is done by the Holy Spirit. Titus chapter 3, verses 3, 4, and 5 say this. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, which which references the blood spilled by Jesus Christ on the cross, and renewal... By the Holy Spirit. There is a renewing that happens. By the work of the Holy Spirit. The last thing that I want you to know about this part. Is that the Holy Spirit. Is connected to the scripture that you read. If you have in your hands right now. A a bound paperback Bible. Maybe you have some type of app. On your smartphone or something like that. It doesn't change the truth. That's written in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16. It says this. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So when you see or hear any part of Scripture that references the Holy Spirit, there's a couple of things that I want you to be looking for. One of those things is when you see anything related to the word Spirit. Holy Spirit, Spirit of God. That is a direct reference to the Holy Spirit that we're talking about. Another thing that you want to be looking for that is very important for us to understand when we start looking at the Holy Spirit would be the, the word or the imagery referenced by the idea of breath. So right here in this passage, and we'll reference a few more in just a minute, in 2 Timothy, it says that all Scripture is God-breathed. The idea that God's Spirit is what brings about the Scripture. Now, the, the Bible is written was written down by men. But we understand that the initiative to do that, the words that were given to be written down were were given by the Spirit of God so that they could be recorded so that you and I would have access to that. So anytime you see Spirit, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, anytime that you see the idea of breath or wind, you see the reference, some of the imagery that would be referring to the Holy Spirit. So anytime you see that in Scripture, you can study that a little further, look for the context to understand if that's something referencing The Holy Spirit. The last part of this related to understanding the identity of the Holy Spirit is not only is the Spirit God, the Spirit is also a person. Now, I know sometimes when we look at this, we look at the idea that Jesus is the part of God's nature that we saw in physical form. So we saw God, the Son of God, as Jesus walking around with human flesh through the stories that are recorded in the Bible. But we also understand, if we read Scripture, that the Holy Spirit takes on and has physical attributes, and and humanistic types of behaviors that help us to see that the Holy Spirit has personal characteristics that we can identify with. The first of those is intelligence. In John chapter 14, verse 26, it says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Now, this is before Jesus leaves the earth. It's several chapters before the end of the recordings of the life of Jesus in the gospel of John. And Jesus is saying to his closest followers that he's going to leave and that the Holy Spirit's going to come. And this is the role that the Holy Spirit will play. And it's related to intelligence, not just the teaching of new truths, but the remembrance of the truths that we've already been taught. So John 14 says that the Holy Spirit will come and he will teach you all things. And will remind you of everything that I, Jesus, have said to you. That's what his promise is to the disciples. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit has a will. And when I say will, I'm talking about what's referenced here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. It says, all these are the works of one and the same Spirit. He gives them, or in some translations of Scripture, it says he wills them to each one just as he determines. Now, this is a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 that's referencing the idea of spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Uh, We're going to reference it a little bit next week. But spiritual gifts is the idea that, that God works through individual people for the sake of other people. He works through the individual people for the sakes of themselves and for those they come in contact with in community like we have here in a local church. But also in the community at large. And so God may speak through and work through an individual to do that for the sake of someone else. But at the very beginning of that chapter in 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll reference this a little bit next week, like I said... We have the understanding that those spiritual gifts come from the Spirit and He gives or He wills them to whoever He wishes. So one of, let me just go ahead and give you a foreshadowing to next week. We're not going to reference spiritual gifts as this idea of attaining spiritual maturity. I kind of thought that when I was growing up. I thought when I was growing up that spiritual gifts were given to the most mature spiritually among us. That the people that were the most mature spiritually were the people that God used the most in these corporate gatherings. And I don't believe that there's grounds to show that in scripture. I believe that spiritual maturity is fleshed out by an understanding. That God uses those who make themselves available to be used. But God is the one through the power of the Holy Spirit. To give those gifts. To will those gifts to those that he chooses. And that helps me to understand that there are people. That I probably wouldn't have chosen for service. That God chose for service. And he gifted them spiritually to do the things that he would called them To do the last thing as it relates to personal characteristics about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit has emotions Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption this idea that there are emotions that are experienced by the Spirit of God. We, we understand that the emotions that were experienced by Jesus when He came and He lived on the earth and those things that are recorded in the Gospels, they help us to see, and, and Hebrews references when talking about Jesus, that Jesus experienced the same kinds of things that you and I experience. But because the Holy Spirit is God, just as Jesus is God, there's the idea here that every part of God's nature has the ability to connect to the things that you and I experience and the things that you and I feel. And so if we are God's temple... And we are the dwelling place of the Spirit of God that we understand that there's emotions that are able to connect to the emotions that we feel through the power of God. The next thing that I want you to know about the Holy Spirit, and hopefully you're with me. Are you still with me? All right. I got three people that are still with me. Everybody else is doodling. That's okay. That's all right. The next thing that I want you to know about the Spirit, and again, I'm probably talking out of my own insecurities about what I was either taught or what I misunderstood, if that's even a word, um, when I was taught these things when I was growing up in church is that the Holy Spirit didn't just show up in the book of Acts. I don't know why, but I thought when I was reading through the Bible that you, know, you had the Old Testament, and that was kind of governed by the law. And then you had Jesus show up in the New Testament, and he was the fulfillment of the law. And then he said, I'm leaving, and when I leave, the Holy Spirit's coming. And so then the Holy Spirit showed up. But I want us to trace a few instances here throughout Scripture that show us that the Holy Spirit has been a part of the entire narrative of Scripture. That even back to creation... The Holy Spirit was visible and at work. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says this. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And listen, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was there when there was nothing created. When there was a formless sense of chaos going on. Before there was even the world that you and I have the ability to see. Genesis chapter 2 tells the story of the creation of man. And this is a really powerful scripture here in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 that speaks to us about the power of the Spirit in our lives. Listen to this. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed, listen to that reference, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Job, later in the Old Testament, references the idea that the breath that he has... From God is his life source, and it was given to him by the Spirit of God. This is the idea that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives life. He creates life. He creates things. He's there in the midst of the work of God. In the Old Testament, there is a sense, though, that the Holy Spirit is this unfulfilled promise. This unfulfilled thing. There's a lot of talk in the Old Testament about the things to come. The longing of what is to be at some point in the future. One of the most powerful passages that we have, and people that are raised in some type of Pentecostal faith tradition refer to this verse a lot, this passage a lot, and it is very powerful, but I want to use it in a little different context. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29 say this. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit, capital S, referring to God, on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit, capital S, in those days. Now, while this passage is often used to talk about the work of God through the Holy Spirit that is to come and you're going to see prophecy and dreams and all these things happen and that that's going to happen through a lot of different people. This was this was almost heresy, almost this heretical teaching to say that our sons and our daughters would prophesy in a culture where women or or daughters would have very little rights. But the idea that the promises of God were towards the the sons and the daughters. And not just in the culture where it says that the most important people were those who were older. But that our old men and our young men would be used by the power of God. And so this teaching is awesome. But what does it say? That it's going to happen when I pour out my spirit in those days. It's referencing the idea that the things that are going to happen haven't happened yet. And even though we may read stories throughout scripture where we see some partial fulfillment of the promises of God. I would contend that this is not even really fully fulfilled until the end of the story. Until what's even to come still. But I do see that there's more and more a fulfillment of this beginning in the book of Acts. When God speaks to Peter. And then through other uh, members of that early church and other leaders in the early church. And they begin to understand that through the power of God, the message of the gospel is no longer exclusively for the Jews. It's also for the Gentiles. And then you see passages throughout the New Testament that begin to reference the idea that it's no longer just for a certain group of people. That there's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female because the power of the gospel is that the message and the good news is available To everyone. And so Joel chapter 2 references here that the Holy Spirit is an unfulfilled, it is a yet-to-come promise of fulfillment because it's to come in those days. And this has nothing really to do with today's message. It's just one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible as it relates to the work of the Spirit. It's in Exodus chapter 35, and it's going to be up on the screen, beginning in verse 30. It says this, Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. Now, the phrase that was used there, if you can flip back one slide for me, guys. The phrase that was used there that says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, right there at the beginning of verse 31. That's the first time in all of Scripture that that phrase is used. Filled him with the Spirit of God. And you know who he wasn't talking about? He wasn't talking about Moses. He wasn't talking about a pastor or preacher or teacher. He was talking about a construction worker. He was talking about someone that God desired to use to create for him a place that the people could worship together. And so he says, I've chosen Bezalel. And I have filled him with my Spirit and here's the specific skills that he has. So we see that there are skills, natural skills that he has. And we see that there's an empowerment to do what God needs him to do. And so the first time that we ever see this idea of being filled with the spirit. It's a construction worker. To me, that is a powerful image related to the ability of God and the desire of God to use any body to do the work that he has for us to do. So we spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. Let's jump to the New Testament. We're jumping now to the story of Jesus Christ. And and many of you know this story. Even if you weren't raised in some type of faith background, you may know a portion of this story because we we reference some of it in the Christmas story. And this is what's what's read in Luke chapter 1. This is about how Jesus even came to be. Luke chapter 1, verse 29 through 35. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. This is referencing the angel that encountered Mary there. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. That's a great question. That's not what the angel said. That's what Jeremy said. The angel answered verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is a strange story. I know that. It's a story that probably loses a little bit of its luster because we do reference it at Christmas. And so maybe we've read it enough, we've heard it enough, we've seen it demonstrated in fantastic Christmas plays and talked about and preached and taught and we've read it. But it probably loses a little bit of luster here. So I just want to connect at the simplest form that I possibly can, the truth that I see in this story. The same spirit that existed in the chaos of Genesis 1, that breathed life into man in Genesis 2, brings about the life... Of the son of God on earth. To engage. The chaos. Does that make sense? There's chaos in Genesis 1. And so God creates humanity. As a part of the creation process. And man lives. Among the chaos. And we get to the new testament. And chaos has run amok. And there's a need now. For the son of God. To engage in the story. And for the son of God to fully be able to come to earth in the way that God intends. So that he can be 100% man and 100% God, as Pastor Mark says, uniquely blended together. There is a need for the spirit of God again to breathe life into the world. Mark chapter 1 verses 9 through 12 references the same story, but in a little different context. It's not going to be on the screen. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love With you, I'm well pleased. And at once, the Spirit sent him out into the desert. we're going to reference that again in just a minute. But I want you to understand that even as Jesus is alive on earth, that there is a recognition by God the Father that Jesus, in human form, is his Son. Referencing what we just talked about in Luke chapter 1. So there is a couple of things that I want to make sure we don't miss before we move to the last part of our scriptural deal. And again... Please hear me. All week long, I've been talking to my wife about knowing that I'm covering a lot of things. I'm throwing a lot of scriptures at you. Hopefully, you're, you're hanging with me here. But there's a couple things that I want to make sure we don't miss before we move on. We've, we, we've kind of recognized that Jesus... Is the son of God. Most people reference that in some way. Now some people they they look to Jesus. And they say well maybe he wasn't the son of God. Maybe he was just a good teacher. Maybe he was some type of rabbi. Spiritual leader. The problem that we have. And we're not necessarily talking about Jesus. As much as the Holy Spirit during this series. But the problem that we have. Is that Jesus referenced himself. As the son of God. So if we are to look to him. As a spiritual leader only. as As a teacher of great truth. He claimed to be the son of God. He claimed in John chapter 14 that you can't get to God except to go through him, which is entirely countercultural to the world that you and I live in. And so this one that we look at as the teacher of great spiritual truth cannot be accepted as this teacher of great spiritual truth unless we in some way deal with the claims that he made about being the son of God. And then as a part of that, this... Claiming to be son of God, Jesus then references that there's another part of the Godhead, the God being that he's a part of, that he's from, that he came from the father. And there's another part of this. There is the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus claiming to be the son of God recognized by the father and recorded in scripture as the son of God references the Holy Spirit. And so, again, if we accept any part of the truth of Jesus and his teachings, we have to express or at least in some way deal with the fact that he's referencing that the Holy Spirit of God is to come. And then we move beyond the story of Jesus Christ in Scripture into the remainder of the New Testament, beginning in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, and I've said this for some time, the book of Acts is the linchpin, in my opinion, of the entire New Testament. Because what you have is you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the first four books of the New Testament. And then you have the book of Acts, and then you have the remaining part of the New Testament. And much of the remaining part of the New Testament references, or in some way is connected to the stories that are laid out for us in the book of Acts. The book of Acts begins by referencing the Gospels, and by referencing in chapter 1 the story of Jesus Christ and his ascension back to the Father after his death. Chapter 2 is about the power of the Holy Spirit coming after Jesus has been taken away to give the people the power to do what Jesus said they were going to need to do and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Remember Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples in all nations. And then in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which we'll reference, I think, at the end of this month in the last sermon of this series, he says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So there is the idea in Acts chapter 2 that they now receive the power of God to fulfill the mission of God. And then the rest of that book is the stories of of guys like Peter and Paul And Timothy and Barnabas. And guys that are walking around preaching, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Establishing the early church. Setting up churches in various communities that they come in contact with. And then later in the New Testament we have a number of writings from Paul and others. Either to the churches that were established in the book of Acts. To a group of people that are referenced in the book of Acts. Or that take place at the same time that those churches are being established in the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts is a powerful, powerful piece to understanding the narrative of Scripture. And I want us to read, and I'm going to read a lot of Scripture here. It's not going to be on the screens because it would be like 37 slides, all right? Acts chapter 2, the first 12 verses. We've referenced much of this over the last few weeks or months in some of the other teachings that we've done. And I'm going to skip a lot of the words that I would just make fun of myself for saying, all right? Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them, the people that came out of the room, speaking in his, the people that were listening, their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears... Uh, Hears them in his own native language. There's a bunch of words there that I would butcher in verse 9 and 10. So just skip those, but understand we're referencing the nations of the world represented there. Verse 11, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Now, this passage here, like I said, is a linchpin. It's a hinge In the story. Because it connects the work of the Spirit of God prior to this. Through Jesus, through the prophets of the Old Testament, through the work of creation at the beginning of the book of Genesis. It connects that work of the Spirit of God and the power of God to the work that is to come in the remainder of the New Testament. And really, the remainder of time. We are here today because of what happens in Acts chapter 2. We exist in this place today because of what happened in the passage of Scripture that we just read. And so we see the work of the Holy Spirit through the people in the upper room, they come out of the upper room, they begin proclaiming in the nations of the known world what's taking place. And after that, like I said, Peter and Paul and others, they, they go out and they begin teaching and establishing churches. and we see through the power of the Holy Spirit, that people are healed. people are baptized. People do amazing things through the power and under the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see that God uses ordinary men and women to do the work that he needs them to do to fulfill the promise. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is shown throughout the entire Bible. So what does this mean to me and you? As we move forward in this series, what does any of this matter to you? outside of this series, moving forward through the remainder of the next few months, the next year, whether you continue to attend this church or you go to another church, whether you're just here today visiting or you've been here since we launched, 76 Sundays ago, by the way. What does this mean to you? I wrote a few things down here. Just let me read them. The Spirit of God helped create form... Where there was chaos. This Spirit of God brought life to dead and lifeless things. The Spirit of God gave power to a construction worker to do the work of God. The Spirit of God empowered the Son of God to do the work of God on the earth. The Spirit of God gave power to ordinary people to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. What are you allowing the Spirit of God to do through you? Is the Holy Spirit a comforter just to be looked at? Or a piece of our lives to be utilized? When I was in college, I, some of you know this story, I went to college To pursue a degree that would help me eventually attend law school. I wanted to be a lawyer. Not because I loved law, though I did love law. So that kind of changes what I just said. Because I did love it. But not just because I loved it. I wanted to leverage law school into a life in politics. I know, that makes me a terrible person. Not just because I loved politics. But I wanted to help shape the public debate. I wanted to help shape discussion that would affect change. I come from a long line of preachers. Like if I were to tell you all the people in my family who are in ministry today, it would take me a little while. It's the family business, and I don't mean any disrespect to that. I just mean it's it's what members of my family do. And I had decided at a pretty early age in my teenage years that I was not going to do that. My brother had been called into ministry by the power of God, and I decided that's going to be for him. I'll do something different. And I went to college, and I was taking some classes to try to eventually get to being able to graduate with some type of degree that helped me get into law school, go through law school to get into the things that I wanted to eventually do. And again, some of you know this story, but I was sitting in a chapel service. The school that I attended, they had chapel and they had a, a thing called convocation once a semester. And the convocation was a series of services over the course of a week that you came and you were required to attend a certain number of these services. And so I was attending and I wasn't a backslidden, heathen, you know, hellion going to hell on the first bus here. But I mean, I just was, you know, a college student that had been playing a lot of softball and chasing girls. And so I hadn't finished a, a project that was due the next day. So I came to the service to get credit for attending the service. But I wasn't paying attention to anything that was going on. Instead, I was writing a paper due the next day. And so, so as some of you are doing right now. (laughs) So I was sitting in the balcony, writing away, working on something. And there was a moment in the message, and I've, I've referenced this phrase. I don't mean for it to sound redundant to those that have heard the story. But I don't have a clue what the guy said. But he said something and I just went from here to here and I just stopped writing and I looked up. I I don't really even think I looked up with the intent of listening to what he said. I don't think it was something that pricked my heart and I thought, oh, my God, I got to get saved. I got to go to the it wasn't that I just looked up, looked at the stage and I saw this this man that was preaching the gospel. Laying out the claims and truths of Jesus Christ and I stopped writing. And over the next few minutes, I closed the notebook that I was utilizing. And the spirit of God began to speak in my heart. Speak in my life. It's not some mystical, scary, fuzzy thing. It was just this very personal, intimate kind of moment. Whereas scripture defines it, the spirit that God placed inside of me jealously desires the spirit that I am, the spirit of God, that they be connected. And so there was this very just sweet, quiet, intimate moment. The people sitting around me had no clue what was going on. I don't even know if I fully understood what was happening. But at the end of that message, the, the minister gave an altar call. If you're not familiar with what that is, it's similar to what we did earlier, but it's in response to a message where they open the altar and they say, hey, if you want to come and pray, these altars are open, you come and pray. And and, and I've said, I don't remember exactly what the altar call was for. It could have been for pregnant, unwed mothers, but I knew I had to go. I just knew in that moment, I I think I'm supposed to go pray. So I don't know if everybody else in the room was looking at me going, he's pregnant? I don't know. I, I can't figure that out. But I know in that moment that I was supposed to respond. I knew that because of the work that the Spirit of God was doing in my heart. And I went, and there's a stage very similar, laid out like this, and there's a staircase on the right side, and about three or four feet, just inside that staircase, I knelt down on the floor. And I prayed a really simple prayer that went something like this. God, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say it and go anywhere. I'll I'll just follow you anywhere it is that you would have me to go in the world. I got up and I went back to the balcony. Got my stuff and went back to my apartment. I finished the paper, I believe. I think I made a B. Next day I went to class and I was working for a pizza delivery company. So after class, I went and got in my Volkswagen Jetta, still one of the best cars I've ever owned. And I went to work. And as I was working over the next day or two, I got frustrated. And I called my dad and I said, dad, what is it that I mean, how does this work? I felt like God was doing something in me. And so I, I don't understand. I'd already changed my major. I was going to pursue ministry, and I I decided I was going to do that, but I didn't know what it looked like, and I'm still delivering pizzas. And My dad said something really profound to me, and it may not sound profound to you, but he said this. He said, you be the best pizza delivery guy you can be. He said, you show up to work on time. You work hard. You leave on time. You be the best college student you can be. You go to class. You write your papers. When you're in your car delivering pizzas, find some way to sing worship music, to listen to worship music, find sermons on tape or CD, write sermons, preach sermons in your car. There are people in that town that probably thought I was crazy. I'd be sitting at a red light just preaching to nobody. And he said this, If you be faithful, when God needs you, he'll know where to find you. And I've said this for a while, and I really mean it. Today's sermon wasn't birthed in that Jeddah, but some of the ones you've heard were. And it all started with a conversation between me and the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God brought form where there was chaos The Spirit of God brought life to dead and lifeless things. The Spirit of God gave power to a construction worker to do the work of God. The Spirit of God empowered the Son of God to do the work of God on the earth. The Spirit of God gave power to ordinary people to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. What are you allowing the Spirit of God to speak into you? What are you allowing the Spirit of God to say to you? What are you responding to that the Spirit of God has said to you? Holy Spirit is God. And it could be that God is trying to get your attention through His Spirit. And so my prayer for you today is very simple. I'm going to ask Alan to come. My prayer for you today is very simple. It's what I've been praying leading up to this series. Not even just specifically about today. It's what I'll continue to pray throughout the remainder of this series. That no matter what your level of understanding or comfort About the Holy Spirit is or was before today that you recognize one truth. The Holy Spirit is God. And if you have or desire to have a relationship with God, then you have to understand that the Holy Spirit's a part of that too. You gotta be open to that. It's not something you should be scared of, it's not a dove that appears with. Weird organ music all the time. It's not a magic formula. It's not always things that you can't put words to. Sometimes it's just sitting in a balcony writing a paper and you know God's calling you to more. It's sitting in an auditorium of a school drama theater and knowing that God wants you to know. That he knows. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. So, this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that's done all this work throughout Scripture, what is it that the Holy Spirit may be looking to do in and through you today, in this week, in this month? And are you open to that? Are you willing to say today, you know what, I don't understand it all. I can't figure all of it out. There's still some questions I have. But I desire for God to speak to me. I desire to be used by God. I desire for God to speak and use and work through me. And if that's the Holy Spirit, if that's the work of the Holy Spirit, then I'm open to that. That's where we start today. Over the next few weeks, I'm so excited. I I hope you'll join us. But over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some specific things and and what that looks like in your life. And so I encourage you to be here. But I want us to pray. And I want us just to open our hearts to God. I'm going to pray a really simple prayer, not a really long, drawn-out prayer. Because the prayer that needs to be prayed is yours. And so I encourage you, if you're comfortable to pray out loud, you do that. If not, you can just whisper a prayer. If not, it's just kind of a quiet moment of meditation and and reflection and just thinking about the goodness of God and what it is that you might need to be open to. So I ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. And I want us just to pray and just say, God, we're open to what it is that you may want to do in and through us. We've read a lot of scriptures today. But what those scriptures really tell to us, what they say to us, is that you're God. You're all throughout scripture. You've done incredible things. And so today, God, for myself and for every person in this room, we pray that those incredible things that you have done would continue in and through us. The Holy Spirit of the Bible doesn't have to be scary. Holy Spirit of God is God He's got these personal characteristics with which I can identify with and He allows me to understand He helps me to understand the ways in which God wants to connect to me God I thank you for every person in this room Thank you for the work that you've done, the work you are doing. I thank you for everybody that's opening themselves up in this moment to you, to be used by you, to respond to you. Let us experience a a sense of your presence. Help us to know who you are. And God, let us find new ways to see you through the work of the Spirit of God. Let this month be a life-defining month for some of us as we look at a subject maybe we've never studied, never thought about. Let it affect the way that we live by recognizing the work of your spirit in our lives and the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray.